You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. So the United Kingdom has a new prime minister. His name is Boris Johnson, and he's known for two things. One, hilariously clownish antics, and two, a pretty disturbing habit of bigoted comments. So that's what we're talking about today on Worldly, part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. I am here with Jen Williams. Alex Ward is out today, but happily, we have Jen Kirby, who is Vox's chief Britain and Brexit correspondent. Hi, Jen. How are you doing? I'm great. We're going to call you Kirby for the show because otherwise, though the two of you look nothing alike, people who are just hearing you talk cannot tell the difference. Twinsies. Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Great. All right. Happy to have you, Jen, and also Kirby. Let's start talking about Boris. What's this guy's deal and who is he? Yeah. So Boris Johnson, full name Alexander Boris DeFeffel Johnson. That is real. That is (laughs) actually his name. That is one hell of a name. Yes, that is his real name, but he fondly goes by Boris or Boris Johnson. He was actually born on the Upper East Side of New York, and he comes from a pretty um, prominent family. His dad, for example, uh, worked in Brussels with the EU. He went to Eton, a prestigious school, uh, was educated at Oxford, but Fast forwarding from his early years, he kind of comes on the scene um, as a journalist, particularly a correspondent in Brussels covering the European Union, where he has a tendency to play a little bit loose with the facts and also cover the EU very skeptically, which kind of feeds into the narrative that we would eventually see when we uh, have the Brexit referendum in 2016. One article that kind of illustrates the point that Kirby was just making is this one about EU condom regulations. And I'm I'm not making that up again. This guy is as ridiculous as he sounds. Yeah. So this piece in the Daily Telegraph ran with the headline, Italy fails to measure up on condoms, in which Boris revealed that Quote, Brussels bureaucrats have shown their legendary attention to detail by rejecting new specifications for condom dimensions. Basically, he informed readers that this Brussels EU bureaucratic decision has, like, riled up Italy and left Italian egos smarting. He quoted this official spokesperson who insisted this is really serious— That was in 1991. Three decades later, that same official spokesperson that he supposedly quoted, who is now retired, told The Guardian from his hospital bed, mind you, that he was still exasperated by the, quote, load of bullshit written by Johnson. So just to kind of reiterate, 
wrote a crazy piece about the EU being really terrible and infringing on, like, the, you know, sovereignty and dignity of, you know, a European Union country and made a bunch of stuff up. And those two things are pretty emblematic of Boris Johnson in general. Right. One thing that's that's actually important about this, and I, I don't mean to fully make light of it, it's that uh, the, the regulations that he was covering were actually about doctors and aid safety. Right. right. It wasn't like it was just some silly, unimportant thing. This was in the 90s when there was a really serious AIDS problem uh, in the developed world. And Boris Johnson is making fun of an anti-AIDS initiative by trying to make it a story of EU overreach, thereby making light of a really important issue and using it to make the EU look bad. This is, again, paradigmatic of his overall approach to politics, uh, which also contains, um, let's say, some unfortunate ways of talking about people who are not white native-born Britons. So, for instance, he described Muslim women who wear the niqab, the the face veil, who basically, you know, cover themselves from head to toe. You can only see like a a slit of their eyes. Uh, He basically described them as looking like letterboxes, so mailboxes. He's used some racial slurs to describe people in Africa that I'd rather not repeat. Uh, Not super great. So, Kirby, this guy gets into politics, right, in 2001? Yeah, in 2001, he dabbles a little bit before, but in 2001, he uh, successfully becomes a member of parliament. And then his big coming out on the political scene is when he wins, becomes the mayor of London in 2008. He's a conservative and London is a labor stronghold. So this is a really big deal and it's a huge upset win. So he's mayor of London for a while and does some, well, first we should probably talk about why he won because, you know, we've just described him as kind of a goon so far, right? But he's actually very charming and charismatic in a lot of people's eyes. And it helps him be a very effective politician in this mayor of London race. He's kind of goofy and plays into the goofiness. Like one time uh, he (laughs) got himself somehow stuck on a zip line during the 2012 London Olympics. Yeah, so just to kind of set the scene here, 2012, London hosts the Olympics. It's a big deal. It's also a big kind of coup for Boris Johnson, right? Like it's a big win for London. It's this big kind of publicity thing. He was, you know, as mayor, he was this big like booster for London and tried to get a lot of like publicity and, you know, do things that a mayor is supposed to do to promote your city. So, As part of this, for these kind of festivities and as like a publicity stunt, he goes and does this like cool zipline thing where he's like strapped into a harness on this like metal zipline and he goes flying down, you know, whizzing through the air. And there's this amazing video where like little bit before he's supposed to like come to the end of the zipline, he just gets like stuck hanging there. This gangway is very, very well organized. And ends up like... You see him just literally dangling there, like, Get me a ladder. (laughs) But he leans into it, and he's like, Yep, I'm dangling from a zipline. What happened, right? Like, what led this particular kind of person to be successful based on these traits and events in the world? Yeah, so I think, as we mentioned, he's kind of a goof, and he leans into it. But I think the thing to know about Boris is that he is kind of seen as a calculated politician and that he doesn't really have any strong convictions. So this allows people to kind of see what they want to see in him. And I think nothing illustrates this quite like the Brexit referendum where he was and became one of the prominent spokespeople advocating for the UK to leave the European Union. Talk about talk us through the backstory here, right? Because there was a complicated thing around when the referendum was originally called inside the Conservative Party. 
Yeah. So David Cameron, who was the prime minister at the time, there was a lot of agitation about sort of the UK's position within the EU, and he called this referendum, which was scheduled for June 23rd, 2016. And David Cameron was pro-Remain. He believed that the United Kingdom should stay within the European Union. Yeah. So just to be clear, for people who have kind of forgotten how this whole Brexit thing actually started, Cameron called this referendum basically to put to rest all these, like, furor and calls for for a Brexit. Like, he was like, all right, fine, all you people, like, say you want to do this. This is ridiculous. It's never going to pass. And he kind of assumed that a lot of his political allies would get on board. And Boris Johnson, again, as the then former mayor of London and a member of parliament, was seen as one of the most prominent conservative politicians at the time. So, him getting on board with the Remain would give it a huge boost. And so there was this sort of dramatic will he, won't he playing out in public view. And eventually, I believe in February 2016, Boris Johnson came out and said, guess what? I believe the UK should leave the European Union. And he kind of catapulted to be the head of uh, sort of the, the figurehead of the Brexit movement. Now, the understanding of the time was not that Boris had decided on the merits of the policy that leaving the European Union would be a good idea for Britain. He thought it would be politically advantageous for him to do so. He thinks that, you know, if he's on the side that has very few supporters, maybe if it actually wins, he'll, you know, do pretty well in the aftermath. Or maybe even if it doesn't, he'll have been the voice for the unheard Britain or whatever, right? There were, it was smart to be the leading big figure in UK politics who was defending uh, Brexit from a mainstream perspective. Uh, and then, of course, Brexit won. It turns out the it, the UK voted to leave the European Union. David Cameron resigned after his defeat in the referendum. And it looked like it, the prime ministership was Boris's to have until one of his allies, uh, Michael Gove, who was also a conservative who embraced the Leave campaign, basically stabbed him in the back <laughs> during the race to become the next conservative leader. And in doing so, kind of took them both out. And Theresa May, who was a Remainer on paper, she wasn't super enthusiastic about it, but she ended up being the consensus candidate to leave the conservative party and ultimately became the prime minister. May comes in and basically is saddled with the actual mechanics of making Brexit happen, right? And she tries really hard to do so for, like, two years. She essentially gave Boris Johnson, like, a, a consolation prize and made him foreign minister so he could kind of sort of be involved in Brexit negotiations a little bit, although it's not totally just on him. But Boris Johnson, among others in the Conservative Party, really do not think that May is doing a particularly good job at trying to make Brexit happen, to the point that he dramatically, along with several other people in her cabinet, resigns from her government in... Summer of 2018. Okay. Like, dramatically resigns over explicitly her failure to deliver Brexit and her handling of it. So that was a really dramatic move that, like, was a huge break. But once again, it was politically well-timed. I don't know if he planned this or he didn't, but it was before there was a conclusion to the negotiations with the EU. And what that meant is that Boris didn't have any role in Theresa May's proposed Brexit deal, right. which was super unpopular uh, among basically everybody. Nobody, There was no faction that really loved it in the Brexit debate, and so it's continually failed in parliament. So he didn't own any of that. Yeah, he gets out unscathed, right, like, at perfect timing. Right. And then Theresa May falls, and Kirby, he sweeps the election, right? The But it's not exactly an election. 
Yes. So essentially, the way that it works is May resigns as conservative leader, and so they have to choose a new one. So only the conservative party votes. That's the members of parliament and then the party members, which is about 160,000 people who pay their dues to the conservative party. So I think it comes out to being 0.25% of Brits get to select the next prime minister. But Boris Johnson was the front runner the entire time and basically cruised to the finish line pretty much for once. Uh, his victory was never in doubt. And then he became prime minister officially on Wednesday. And now after the break, we're going to talk about what that means for Brexit and the future of the UK. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between so you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected, and 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Welcome back, worldly audience. Now we are going to talk about Prime Minister Boris Johnson, not what got him the job, but what it means for Britain and the world now that he has it. Kirby, I want to start with you again as our resident Brexit expert. What is his stated policy on the departure from the EU? Yeah, so Boris Johnson's pitch basically to become prime minister was, I'm going to take the UK out of the European Union by October 31st, which is the current Brexit deadline. He said it was do or die. So his plan is, I'm going to go back to the EU and try to negotiate a better Brexit deal. And if I can't do that, I'm going to do it, guys. But just in case I can't, then I will leave the EU without a deal on October 31st. And that is is his very nonspecific plan. Uh, that's good and nice and fine, but like it really doesn't seem feasible. It seems like he has the same problem that Theresa May had, which is that the EU is not going to renegotiate unless he agrees to make concessions. But he's backed by the hard Brexit faction of the Tory party, the people that want to just get out of the EU no matter what, and they don't want to make concessions to the EU. So how the hell is he going to do this without just crashing out of the EU? And as we've discussed before uh, on the show— destroying the British economy. That is 
literally the million dollar question. Um, and that's why, as you said, Boris Johnson is the prime minister, but he inherits the exact same problem that Theresa May had, which is that you have an e- EU that's basically said, this is the deal that's on the table and we're not going to renegotiate it. You have a parliament that doesn't really know what it wants on Brexit, but doesn't really want to leave without a deal because of the uh, catastrophic consequences that could happen. And then you have a public that's kind of just souring on the political establishment in general, not just the conservative party, um, but the labor party as well. So things are pretty, pretty crazy. Yeah, Jen, you had a really fantastic piece for the site uh, about, you know, Boris Johnson in general, but also, you know, what it means for Brexit and his Brexit plan. And there was a line in there that I absolutely loved where you basically are saying that he his plan to deliver Brexit is like, I can't remember exactly how you said it, but something like wishful thinking or like the power of positive thinking. <laughs> and that's about it. Like, that's the whole plan. Uh, it's the Marianne Williamson approach to Brexit. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, it is, look, Johnson is a good campaigner, and he's his message is, if you believe in Brexit, his message is very alluring. It's like, Britain's great. We're going to get back on top, and Britain can do anything in the world, and there's no reason we can't solve Brexit. And again, if that's what you believe and you're into that, then sure, you're going to be charmed by it. But it's also not very specific, and the power of positivity can't solve Brexit. Um, right before he became prime minister, he wrote an op-ed in the Daily Telegraph, which he used to have a daily column, and I suppose as prime minister he won't anymore. But he basically said, because the Americans landed on the moon in 1969, we can solve the Irish border problem, which is <laughs> just laughable. I, I just think it's the funniest thing to, as the head of a nationalist movement, cite another country's accomplishments <laughs> as an example of what you can do. It's just ludicrous. Also, like, I'm pretty sure building rockets and solving, like, an intractable political crisis over a hard border and leaving the EU are not necessarily, like, completely analogous. But that's me. You say there might not be a technical solution to the problems of (laughs) Irish-British nationalism. I know. Hire NASA to handle the the hard border problem on the Irish border. Anyway, like, this is all ludicrous sounding, but it's also very serious, right? Because, like, what happens if we get to October 30th and there's not a deal and the UK is going to crash out? of the EU on the next day with potentially catastrophic consequences for people who need medicine in Britain, for, for the British air travel industry, right? It's, he he's, he's being a clown, but in this case, the clownishness could have very serious consequences. It's very Trumpian in that respect. It is. Um, I think Boris is a little bit, Boris is Trump if Trump were in on the joke. Boris is much more calculating. I love that. <laughs> But I think that one thing to think is right now we have 100 days till the Brexit deadline. And most of the things Boris has proposed, either renegotiating with the EU, seem far out in terms of likelihood or seem really dangerous in terms of leaving uh, without a deal on the 31st. So that kind of brings up the question of whether there might be some other curveball thrown in, potentially a general election. Let me back up. In the UK system, Prime ministers can call a general election pretty much whenever they want to, if they have the support of their party to do so. And he said he doesn't want to have one until 2022, which I believe is the next regularly scheduled election in the British system. Why do you think that might change, right? Because of the risk of of crashing out, because of, you know, thinking that labor is weak for a variety of different complicated reasons? Like, what's the deal? 
Well, I think Boris probably wants to be prime minister for more than a couple of months if his political career has taught us anything. And there's no doubt that having a general election now would be risky. But if he's going to try to do it, he's got to do it basically sooner rather than later. And kind of the reason is because we've, as we've just talked about, there's two things that haven't changed, which is that the EU is not really willing, or hasn't appeared willing to negotiate with Johnson, and the parliament is not in favor of a no deal. So Johnson can go to his party, to the public, and say, listen, guys, I'm going to go back and get this great deal from the EU, but I know when I come back, I need to have a parliament that's going to back me, and I got to get all these remain sympathizers out of parliament so we can pass this deal and get it ratified and get out. And... If I can't do that, I mean, I'm going to get the great deal, but if I can't, I need to be able to take the UK out of the EU as soon as possible, and I need a parliament that's going to get me to do that. And that's a pitch that works now. That's not a pitch that works after the EU says, sorry, we're not giving you a deal. It's not a pitch when you're coming up against that Brexit deadline and you don't have a plan. And it's definitely not a pitch you can make after you've extended the Brexit deadline or you've crashed the British economy, taking them out without a deal. Yeah, that's the, the final point that I actually am really glad you made that I wanted to to make sure that we talk about is like th- there is another option, which is that he could just go back on his word, right? Like he could just not pull the UK out of the EU by the October 31st deadline and try to renegotiate like an extension, right? Like even though that was his entire pitch to get elected, like as we've said before, Boris is pretty well known for doing what's most politically expedient in the moment to get what he needs done and is less actually ideological. So that's that's definitely a possibility that he could try to do, right? Just literally not do the thing he promised to do. I was talking to a UK political observer um, a couple of weeks ago at this point, and he basically said, anyone who believes Boris Johnson is basically an idiot. Like, why would you trust this guy? Everything in his political career has shown him to be that he's out for himself and that he'll do whatever is most politically expedient. So the idea that I'll stick to his promise seems unlikely. At the same time, if he doesn't, his political career is, it will be over, I think. Great. So basically, we have no idea what's going to happen. None at all, I think. Sounds um, familiar with Brexit. Yeah, it yes. seems like we're, we're constantly in Schrodinger's Brexit, where the UK is leaving the EU, but also not leaving the EU at the simultaneous Forever. same time. Yeah, constantly. All right. And on that uh, perpetual note of confusion, I want to end the show. So... Uh, I want to thank our producer, Bird Pinkerton, one of our other producers, Jeffrey Geld, and I want to encourage all of you to rate, subscribe, and review to Worldly on your podcast platform. And and also, if you take nothing else from the show, go read Jen Kirby's work on the website because it's really top-notch and will keep you uh, informed about what's going on with Brexit. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.